It was very wild to me to see that ASMR video on the oh, timeline. I didn't watch it. I for completely forgot. You know, I watched like a couple of seconds and skipped forward and watched a couple more seconds. And boy, oh boy. I gotta click on it now because she linked it to me earlier. Like, I just can't do ASMR and I don't get it. And it's just like off-putting and weird to me. And I think it's because like... God, this is half an hour long. Yeah, I know. It's half an hour long, which like... <sighs> well, so like, like the reason I think that it's so off-putting to me is that like... I know the main reason people are watching it is that they like it makes them horny like they they get horny by it and like it's just so far removed from the things that make me horny <laughs> that it makes me really uncomfortable to watch it. Anyways, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 193 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. So I mean, we've been talking for a while, but how's it going? Yeah, we have been talking <laughs> for a while. It's going good. We're going to catch up a little bit on Standard today. Talk a little bit about Historic, probably. Probably going to go off the rails and talk about other nonsense a little bit, because... You know, we're we're in a little bit of a weird period. Like, we just had a new set come out, so we should talk about standard, but it's kind of the same standard. It's it's almost as if a set hasn't come out in terms of standard churn. Yeah. And and I, you know, I don't want to say that that is a bad thing, because in the context of, like, if it did churn, that would mean that it has cards that are directly powerful enough to compete with the Throne of Eldraine cards, and I'm, like, kind of glad that it doesn't. So, you know, it's... I don't want to use the double-edged sword expression because it's a stupid expression. I'll, like, most swords have two edges. Like, that's how swords work. But, you know, it, it cuts both ways. Like, yeah, standard is not super exciting as the result of a new set, but also, like, we didn't just get a pile of ten cards that are going to define standard for the next two years, so... Which, I mean, if we're in the Mercadian Masks period, so be it. Like, Invasion was great coming out of Mercadian Masks, so. Right. Here's hoping that, you know, when we get to Innistrad? Yeah, werewolves and vampires. Yeah, when we get to the two Innistrad sets, maybe we'll be back to, like, OG Innistrad, and people will be flashing back cards for value that are, like, pretty undercosted, but, like, so sick to resolve. <laughs> That'd be nice. I the, Yeah, the Innistrad cards in Standard... That then went on to like define eternal format. It's 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 kind of wild how like Delver of Secrets and Stapcaster Mage and stuff like that were like inter so interesting and fun in standard, and then also just like excellent in eternal formats for like the entire rest of the history of Magic. There's also like cool cards like Unbearable Rights. Mm -hmm. That was a, a card that was good in standard, uh, but not like overbearing. Mm -hmm. And then it saw modern play for a while with uh, Gifts Ungiven deck before people kind of figured out modern decks yeah and now it inspires a bunch of like medium unplayable decks in historic which is a, a fine place for a card like that to be it allows people to dream yeah and that's what i want no on burial rights is one of my favorite cards uh ever in magic i think it's just a, a really cool design it's also so rare to have a white black card that isn't just kill something 
that's what all the Strixhaven white black cards are, right? Like all the ones that are making the leap to to constructed play, just two really good removal spells for white black. I, I, I like the uh the two drop. I can't remember his name right now. It's a legendary creature. Oh, the uncommon one? Yeah. It, it makes anything that you cast that targets something two less. Yeah. And it works on your stuff and your opponent's stuff. Oh, right, right, right. That's the one I always have to remember that it works on your removal spells too because it yeah. feels like it would only affect your own pump spells. It reads like an aura tribal creature, but it, you read it a second time and your like, Baleful Mastery is just on the cheap always. Yeah. That is one thing that they did well in a couple of... I don't know if that guy makes the leap to constructed play, but certainly the the philosophies in Strixhaven, they really moved away from the conventional definitions of those color pairs, uh, especially for red-white. So the, there's a lot of good stuff in Strixhaven, even though we are not going to talk about a ton of Strixhaven cards while we're going through these standard decks. I, I think there exists room in Magic, and but we'll get to standard like really soon after this, I promise. But <laughs> I think there exists enough space in Magic to have just good sets that are like good standalone sets like Strixhaven, mm -hmm. even if they don't necessarily like set standard on fire. I think they add a lot more than like a Theros Beyond Death, which was a, essentially a flashback devotion retool mm -hmm. with a couple of just absurdly busted cards in Underworld Breach and Uro. Yeah. Also, kind of Ox of Agonis in exactly one deck. But like, there, my point is like, Strixhaven is cool and does stuff and is exploring space. Right. And Theros is just a redo. Yeah. It's a rehash of old stuff. Yeah, there's not a ton of, of memorable, not a ton of stuff that's going to stick in your brain space or, you know, really like hang on for a long time, except for on raw rate out of Theros. Eldraine, though, you know, say what you will about the power level, which is obviously too high, but lot of really cool like timeless designs that just the rate is a little too good oh yeah i, I actually really like eldraine as a set i think it's very good mm -hmm. but it, it's gotten polluted i i also attribute this to kaladesh as well like uh, both really cool set ideas will have some good ex execution or i guess good mechanics but mm -hmm. really polluted by just making the power level way too high and stuff way too difficult to interact with right yeah, like, Brazen Borrower is a fantastic card to exist for, like, all of the rest of Magic. I'm glad it's always going to be an option, but there's always going to be a little bit of a, like, black mark on it because of Lucky Clover and Edgewell Innkeeper. Like, that's always going to be kind of a part of that card's story, and, and maybe that'll get minimized over time as it becomes more defined as, like, an option in Delver decks and stuff like that. But it, it's certainly a part of it right now. So this past weekend, we had an SCG 5K, we had standard challenges, we had enough stuff happen that the MTG data Twitter came up with a win rate matrix. So we can talk about kind of what's going on. I mean, full disclosure, like I have not been playing standard, I've been playing historic. And I think this is a standard that can only really be broken apart in the granular, like the interesting stuff about a standard format like this, where really we're playing all the same archetypes we've been playing for the past three months, is the small changes, the couple of sideboard slots, the like exactly how each deck has adjusted, like how many removal spells is Sultai Ultimatum playing, how many counter spells do they have access to. Like that's the really 
interesting stuff that's happening right now. And we can sort of look at that, but I am not, I have not dived deep enough into the format to really like have access to all of that level of, of information. Yeah. I think we're, since we're just really in a continuous stuff last standard season, mm -hmm. we're just basically jockeying for position, small card adjustments, some decks will rise and fall. And you have to adjust based on that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, unless someone figures something out pretty soon, there's not going to be a like a uh, a random deck coming out of nowhere and smashing everyone. I mean, the things it has to compete with are just like too well tuned, too powerful on rates. Like you got rogues at the like disruptive end. You've got ultimatum at the go over the top end. Your mid range space is taken up by adventure stuff, and then like kind of where do you fit anything in in that spectrum? So ironically, if a deck comes out that is just crushing everything, uh, it, it's going to be funny because it's going to be almost entirely like Eldrine and Call Time and all that stuff like that came before, mostly. Mm -hmm. Like someone went a, a huge tear with a, a Vadrock combo deck. Yeah. Which has got no new cards in it past like... Uh, the core set, I believe, <laughs> or it, it uses a call time ritual, but that's like it. Oh, the like open the omen paths or whatever. The, yes, the two and a red creature ritual. Yeah, and that's a sweet deck, but it's like very fragile. Is that and... the one that generates a ton of mutate triggers? Yes. Okay. Very same. That's what Vadrok is. It's the uh, Jess guy uh, mutate creature. Yeah. Yeah. So the so that one, the idea is you mutate onto it and you neoform and you like copy the neoform it's a standard deck so there's no neo oh, no, not neoform but you 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 can lore dragus to pick up okay your open path you, you basically generate a bunch of open paths and mutate triggers with badrock and okay. lore dragus which lets you recast spells from your graveyard sure and then you can pick up your mutate file and replay it a bunch and just generate all this value over and over, and over. oh that's right and that's the one that is way better in best of one than best of three because unsummon is legal in best of one and it's nice to have a couple of copies of unsummon to pick up your mutate stack okay yep. yes so i i actually learned about this deck from best of three first but it is true that you play a couple of unsummons in your deck uh in best of one because you can <laughs> I, I didn't know that there were cards that were only legal in best of one until i saw a tweet about that and that blew my little mind open well i mean wait until i tell you about sideboard slots on mm, arena good god what a just unbelievable failure of design the the way well, that no your sideboard i definitely show believe up. it i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> it it still boggles even even after like so many missteps like it still boggles that they anybody could have looked at this execution of the sideboard slots and been like yeah this is better Send not only out. that like if they look at it and say all right we've done this convoluted sideboard seven eight split sequencing thing mm -hmm. in order to reduce wishboard access in best of one you have to think all right how much does this really matter for best of one versus screwing over the entire interface for every single best of three game yeah but there's just no way the trade-off is worth it no like the equities can't possibly like 
makes sense here. Well, should we talk about these standard decks? Yeah, what do you want to start, talk about first? Well, I mean, just looking at this win rate matrix here, I think one thing to point out is that out of the 10 decks on the matrix, four of those decks are adventurous decks. Yep. I mean, so. that's no surprise. Anyone who's played a couple of games of standard will have probably played against a couple adventure decks. I, yeah, I mean, it's no surprise, but it's just like, of the major archetypes, yeah, you can slice them up differently, but a lot of them are Edgewall, Innkeeper, Bonecrusher, Giant, Lovestruck, Beast decks, and that's just kind of unavoidable. That that package is too powerful. Yep, so it's Teamer Adventures, Gruel Adventures, uh, Teamer Luca, mm-hmm. and any other Edgewall, Innkeeper pile. Like, there's some Naya one, there's... Just like it's a, just an umbrella after that, pretty much. Yep. yep. Right. Like any any of the showdown of the scalds decks are are adventures builds and yeah. A thing to obviously be aware of is like there's way more adventures as a, a single thing than anything else like put together. Like like this is this is really what the format is about. And then there's just a couple of little like other places that decks can exist. That aren't running that package and so we've still got soul tie ultimatum we've still got rogues which you know is doing like a really classic rogues thing here which is showing a 47 percent win rate on the weekend but also won the scg 5k like the gap between players who are good with this deck and have the right 75 for the weekend and like players who are okay with the deck and don't have the right build for the weekend is just gigantic uh yeah it's not a deck that plays adventure creatures so it's missing a bunch of the just sheer power and card flow if you don't draw like a couple cards in the mid game with rogues you get punished super super hard mm-hmm. so you have to play super tight and i mean some of your matchups are easier than others like against uh zoltai ultimatum any of the slower ultimatum decks uh, even against teamer adventures i find a-, a lot of the time you can just since they're trying to resolve all runs epiphany a lot of the time mm-hmm. or luca those are expensive spells you can just usually cripple them and then try to fight the adventure creatures with your uh just normal rogues gallery <laughs> yes I, I you know i can't like recommend that people play rogues even though like if i had a standard tournament on any given weekend that i had to do well in like my default choice would be play the hell out of rogues and figure out what your last couple of slots are going to be. Like that's so hard to recommend to people to do that because it's not just play rogues, it's put in the work and then play rogues. So that that's, if you've got the time, then I think rogues is just kind of fantastic or at least has a good shot at being fantastic any given weekend, but it's hard to recommend it. I, I think... I would almost always default to playing Soltai Ultimatum, personally. Hmm. I would even recommend it to people, because it's like fairly easy to pick up. It's very powerful. And it's just got kind of good game against everything. Like, there are a couple of decks you don't want to play, play against, especially Rogues. Uh, and sometimes Mono Red or Mono White, depending on how your deck is configured. Mm-hmm. But you basically have to choose what you want to do. Like, on the ladder, whatever. Just play whatever you want. Sure. But if you're playing in a tournament like one of the arena opens, you should figure out what you think more people will play between like mono red and rogues mostly because mono white's not that popular. 
and then tool your deck to beat that matchup and give up in the other one because mm-hmm. you just like want to stack your odds because you've got good game against everything you just want to make sure you cover like your bad matchup and the one you think you'll play against most yeah and i mean i think just like playing spot removal over too many like main deck counter spells is is like helps both of those matchups a lot like you don't want to get mm-hmm. caught as a like two or three heartless act deck like you can do way more than that yeah also we had somehow rakdos mid-range in the top eight of the scg i i just like this is very inexplicable to me well see they only played against rogues I, yeah i mean i guess like this is this is not even just like oh it's rakdos mid-range like it's the sacrifice version of the rakdos deck which i think like number one is just kind of it's just very easy to draw like cards that are bad together. Plays too many clunkers. Yeah, and also like, claim the firstborn is really bad against a certain subsection of decks. Include, I guess, like your worst matchup is Sultai Ultimatum, and you're just ex- like allowing yourself to be zero percent against that. So it's like fine to play claim the firstborn if you're choosing this deck. So like, at least that makes that's coherent. That's a coherent like decision making pattern to me. I mean, yes, if you're going to lose to a deck and not have much, you can just lean into it and try to crush up on, like, adventures decks and rogues, mm. which you are naturally good against rogues anyway. Uh, but it's not a great place to be when you're also losing to the most popular deck. Yeah. Like, that. that is never where you want to be. No. I mean, you, you can't choose this deck if you're expecting to play against Ulti Ultimatum. And what tournament are you not expected to play against Sultai Ultimatum, right? Right. I mean, this person did it for Roki in the, the SCG, which is honestly very impressive. I would have liked to know their matchup spread or even, like, any advice from them personally because maybe they just, like, know something about the matchup. Like, they played against Sultai a couple times. But they can understand something I don't, right? Yeah. I mean, But the like... sideboard is really just a bunch of duress and removal spells, so... <laughs> Right, I mean, the best you're doing sideboarding against Sultai is bringing in four duress, a necromentia, maybe a rankle. Like, you're just hoping to get lucky, really. And that doesn't seem like it would go very far to me. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, a top eight was is a top eight. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, you certainly have to get a little bit lucky to top eight one of these anyways. And if, you're, if you are confident in your deck versus everything except Sultai Ultimatum... Yes, Sultai Ultimatum is 15% plus of the tournament, but you might only play against it once. Like, that's possible. I I played a some some local event, right? But it was a very large local event when Kaladesh was legal. Uh, and, you know, this was at the point where Team Bird Energy was just very obviously the best deck. Everyone knew it and everyone was playing it. And in my first six rounds, I did not play against Team Bird Energy. Because <laughs> everyone just thought they could just avoid it or beat it and i i was playing team energy so i you i top it so, yeah of course <laughs> yes that was my experience during team or energy standards sometimes as well is you would play team or energy you'd play against a bunch of people who either had convinced themselves they had a good team or energy matchup or that like maybe they could beat everything that was trying to beat team or energy and then either you were team or energy, so they lost to you, or they had convinced themselves they could beat team or energy because they didn't play sideboarded games, and then you had negates and they couldn't beat you anymore. 
Yeah, and and that could be what like our our Rakdos player was experiencing. Mm-hmm. We're just actually just managed to dodge the play a lot. That seems most likely to me, but like like you're fantastic against rogues and you're like fine-ish against a lot of the adventure stuff. The problem is that the adventure decks like kind of all have a big o- go over the top package that I don't know how good you are at like you're certainly so, not lining up very well against like all runs epiphany. No, but I, I think actually disassembling their packages, which this deck is pretty good at, uh, goes a long way towards mitigating the impact of those huge spells. Mm-hmm. Because like all runs epiphany is just a bird explore some <laughs> of the time if they don't know board. Right. And a lot of the time that's what's gonna happen against this Rakdos deck if you go to the point where you're allowed to cast Ardens Epiphany. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly beat that card. Yeah. I mean this deck is not fantastic against Edgewall Innkeeper. So if they ever draw an innkeeper, like you might just be in a lot of trouble. You've got Bone Crusher Giant as kind of how you you answer it or you if you can put together claim village rights but like uh, claim village rights will strider amrestrom predator right right i mean like you <laughs> you can claim it but like you know like if you're trying to claim it and woe strider like they've already drawn a card off of it yeah yeah that's true so i you know i i don't know ex- we've talked way too much about one black red deck that that top aided but that's just because it is a, a standout we do have some kind of new ish stuff that showed up just here and there like not in real numbers but worth thinking about worth addressing especially in the cases where there might be some lessons to think about these packages that can't keep up now but maybe are available after rotation uh one that will not be is winoda but there you know there's the blade historian build of winoda now which is okay, but it's not breaking down any doors, I don't think. It's, it feels really good when you get Blight Historian out of play. Mm-hmm. They almost always die. Uh, and the uh, the three drop that's a 3-3 spirit, I can't remember the name of it. It's uh, gold. Let me look it up real quick. Oh, Venerable War Singer. That card's more impressive than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as like a, a fine body that leads into the one order really well. Yeah, I mean, th- this deck certainly has some stuff going for it. But I think that generally when you don't draw Winota, your deck is very bad, as is tradition with Winota decks. Yeah. And, of course, playing red-white, you have no card selection, so... Gotta use that mulligan button handily. Yeah, you don't even get, like... You know, we don't have any Thraben Inspector analogs or anything like that, so... No, no like, Militia Bugler types. You can play Showdown of the Scalds, but that doesn't actually help you get to Oinota. And by the time you've done that, it's almost always too late. Yeah. So as a consequence, I have not seen many of these like play Showdown of the Scalds, at least in the, the main board. No, and the it, it kind of doesn't work with how you're forced to build the rest of your deck. Like, number one, you're starting with four Winota as your first card in your deck. So that's a, you're, you're bumping up against the limit of four mana spells, especially once you add the Blade Historians. Uh, you know, you need you need some humans that cost four plus mana to hit in this deck. It's Blade Historian. After that, it's just like, how are we putting a four mana saga into our deck? Like, your 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 hands are just going to be too clunky. I, I haven't seen enough of this deck played or played against it enough to know like exactly what this deck's good or bad against. I think it's mostly just a kind of something different. Yeah, so I'm playing it. I I think so too. I think it has a you know. 
an aggro deck's matchup profile, but a lot like it's an aggro deck with a a very real fail rate where sometimes you just draw one ones and two twos. And that's a unless you're you're really crushing some people with your good draws, then it that's a tough sell for me. What else do we have in a couple of new decks? Twitter link. I mean some really goofy stuff that's not like real. <laughs> This Jess guy cycling transmogrifier transmogrify deck, which is hilarious, but looks like completely unplayable to me. So you cycle to make fairy tokens with improbable alliance, mm-hmm. and you transmogrify those fairy tokens that you've created by using your cycling cards to go into Velomachus Lorehold, mm-hmm. of which you have three in your deck. So you're like allowed to draw two copies before you can do this. <laughs> And well, you cycle you... a lot, so you gotta make sure that you haven't cycled into all of your Velomachus Loreholds. And then when you attack with your Velomachus Lorehold, your best spell is like Zenith Flare Frostvale, which this deck doesn't even have to draw for yet. Boon of the Wishgiver? Well, you can't hit that with Velomachus Lorehold because it costs six. Oh, that's right! It has a restriction! Yeah. But you can hit... I think you're just trying to hit Zenith Flares with it. Yeah, but I mean... There's already a cycling deck that does Zenith Flare stuff, and it does a lot more damage than attacking on turn five yeah. with a five-five. Yeah, I mean, imagine getting Elspeth's Nightmare with this deck. Like, if you just don't have a graveyard, I'll go one further. Imagine not drawing a probable alliance. Yeah, you're just like you're just kind of forced into bargaining for that card every single game. Right, your whole deck relies on you. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, clearly, like this is just a fun deck that somebody played at in a in a satellite so like it it's there's no reason to like make fun of it but it this just kind of shows like how far we're reaching to like look for stuff to talk about basically all right let's just go to the next one what, what else do we have uh well so there is the category and i think this is important to know about for post rotation stuff there is the category of the black green sacrifice decks with plum the forbidden basically the combination of plum the forbidden and sedgemore witch with mm-hmm. other cards but like those two go together so well you know sedgemore witch just replaces all of the creatures that you sacrificed also makes creatures for your plum the forbidden so that's a start that's a a, a core combo that could be a thing in the future yeah i so this deck i actually like a lot it, it's very aristocratic mm-hmm. but it did aristocratic really yeah like i remember the aristocrat decks from uh the middle ravnica set yeah of course and they were like kind of underpowered for their time they had a really good engine going on and they just like nickel dimed you out of the game wait wait so you're asking me if i remember the aristocrats decks that are the ones that actually had cards with the word aristocrat in the name of it yes Yes. i do remember those decks (laughs) okay and I feel like this deck is very similar, but even weaker than that deck mm-hmm. in a format that is significantly more powerful. Yeah. So the worst part to me about this is that when rotation happens, this strategy gets a lot better, but it also loses Bastion of Remembrance, which is the best like kill card it has. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I think that is more of a point problem than a like systemic problem with the deck like maybe we get another blood artist then that's you know that helps fix it maybe we just like find a different way to deal the lethal damage because like 
you know, the engine here is that spells and Sedgemorm, which make tokens, Plum the Forbidden draws a lot of cards and then replaces itself if you have a Sedgemorm, which in play. Like, like that, that core interaction is, like, what's important to the deck. Like, yeah, Bastion of Remembrance is good in the deck, but I, I think those are all kind of details and a little bit ancillary and, like, yeah, if you don't get any substitute at all for those that functionality, then probably, you know, you're just spinning your wheels and and you don't ever actually kill your opponent, which isn't good. But there's like a lot of things that could fix that problem with the deck if it's printed over over the next couple of sets. I I will say that I do like as a kind of Strixhaven theme deck, it, it is actually probably the best of the schools at like converting cards to standard because mm -hmm. they all work together to do something right and there's just like kind of inherent card advantage baked in with the whole pest and even valentin which is the one drop that you can it exiles cards from your opponent's graveyard when they go there and you can pay two to make a pest mm -hmm. but it's on the flip side it's a four drop like little delphi's cards are very good yeah of course. And, and that one is impressive because it's a, a one drop and a four drop which are great spots in the curve mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and if you look at this deck like it has, it's only four drops, are, like two removal spells. So clearly, like has space. And not even that. the one you'd expect. It's, yeah, it's mortality spear, not uh, binding the old gods. Which, who knows if that's correct or not? But, uh, so also another huge hit against this deck, is just that the mana base is like super terrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you I gotta have... play the snarls. You have four dark boar pathways, which are great. Mm -hmm. Forests and swamps, excellent. Whew, then we get to the jungle hollow and the uh, what's it called? Necro blossom snarl. I'm not gonna learn their names. I refuse. <sighs> yeah. I God, I hope Innistrad has some some lands for us to replace these. Uh, oh God, what's rotating? Not the pathways. But oh yeah, it's just temples that are. Oh, who cares about temples? Well, temples well, and wait. triumphs. We're losing triumphs too, but it's all comes into play tap lands that are rotating. Okay. Okay, let's get some good lands in Innistrad. That, that could help out a lot. Innistrad is like pretty kind to green-black decks traditionally because of the whole death stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and if there's like kind of anything that sort of takes the place of Bastion of Remembrance, then I, I think that the rest of the deck can sort of sort itself out around that. Yeah. And, you know, like, it, it does a lot of cool things. Like, you never actually need the combat step to kill your opponent. Like, blockers just don't matter. Uh, at, like, ground attackers yeah. end up not mattering against you. Like, you can yeah, shut down yeah. a lot of types of strategies with this deck. With in this fact, if you're not attacking with Lovestruck Beast, you're basically not attacking. <laughs> right, exactly. Because you have to have Blex in play for your creatures to be somewhat formidable. Blex the uh, Pest Lord. <laughs> uh yeah i don't know that that stays in the final version of the deck one it, if it it's a card a it's a card draw spell on the other side like that's not nothing it lets you use the life you've gained to actually convert it into cards very easily okay it, it is a stretch but, <laughs> but that's kind of what this deck is right that's what the segment is yeah i mean i mean yeah and we're gonna also have to revise our like current metrics of what makes a playable standard card once we lose bone crusher giant and company so i i still like like i don't think that a winning philosophy for this deck is going to involve like pumping your pests you know <laughs> yeah i know 
but I guess a lord that is a card draw spell on the other side, like that could be worth a slot. Like it, it's not like a complete write off, but I I think like for for somebody to present a six a starting sixty to me that is like impressive, and I'm like okay, like this is going to be defining standard. It's like kind of gotta not have cards like that in it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> oh, Prismari treasures. This is also a deck that could absolutely be a thing post-rotation. You know, right now it has some DNA with, like, the the blue-red LSV deck that was very bad after, like, five days or whatever of the format existing. Mm-hmm. But this is Galazeth Prismari, Goldspan Dragon. Those cards will both exist. And then, like, big spells like Magma Opus and All Runs Epiphany like there's no reason that this deck couldn't exist uh it, it's running bone crushers and brazen borrowers because those are the best cards in standard and the, the best early interaction that turn just draw you a threat but they are not integral to the deck strategy in any way you can play removal spells you can play counter spells in those spots yeah i hate this deck <laughs> just like kind of categorically <laughs> it, it's I actually think it's carried by Bone Grocer Giant and Brazen Borrower, primarily. Because the, the Galazeth and the Goldspin Dragon stuff is good and cute, right? But you need time to set that up. Mm-hmm. And the removal spells and counter spells in this format are, are just not very good. They like are fine 1v1 or mm-hmm. uh, one for ones, but they don't match up particularly well all the time against what's going on. And Bone Crusher Giant and Brazen Borrower are two cards in one first. So they give you a ton of time without having to draw a lot of cards. And then they just match up well against everything. <laughs> I mean, my guess will be that you don't quite need that. That you can play some kind of sketchier interaction once you're not playing against adventure creatures 50% of the time, you know? It, it, it would depend on the speed of the format, I think. Because I think this deck is too slow mm-hmm. currently and probably after rotation. And... I don't know how you improve that that much because this we're going to Innistrad next and we don't know what's after that. But I think if you want like a Galzeth Prismari spells deck to be good, yeah, kind of have to put artifacts that do something in it, mm-hmm. especially in a strategy like this. If that artifact is like glass casket or anything of that effect, yeah, anything that has an effect that comes on the board and stays there. That's, I think, what would make Galazeth Prismari and this kind of deck good. Right. Not just additional removal spells or control spells. Oh, yeah, I agree. It needs something. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, or something to cheat Magma Opus out from your graveyard. That That's the other thing I think you could do. Like, if some, if they print sure. memory rights for spells, like uh, Mizzix's Mastery. Yeah. Mizzix's Mastery, I think, is just too good for standard. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I've seen that card overloaded in Limited multiple times. <laughs> and it's just in game ending yeah uh yeah that card is 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 quite good probably not going to end up being anything at all in his you know it'll be a fun thing that you can do in historic but historic is so unfriendly to all of the stuff that that card is doing but uh too good for standard yeah i mean i i do think that galazeth prismari is pretty good and goldsband dragon we know is really really good and it was the only good thing that that blue red deck was doing you know, all of the games are like, interact, interact, like, hang on, play the Goldspan Dragon. Like, if I untap with this, you're dead. If you find a way to solve it, like, I'm dead. Like, 
Goldsmatch Dragon was the only good card in the deck, really. Like, there were good cards, but it was the only card in the deck that made the strategy work at all. Uh, and that's the sign of a really, really powerful card. Like, Goldspan Dragon and Blue Spells can be really, really powerful if you can make the rest of the deck work in some way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It just needs... Like, it, once we move away from Brace... I, I think this deck has a very limited shelf life currently, mm -hmm. similar to LSV's deck. It's just too lucky oh sure galazeth galazeth prismari itself is which is the new card that in expressive iteration side note i hate expressive iteration in this deck you just like don't have i mean i guess it's not that bad hmm, actually it's probably pretty good it's just yeah. a good card yeah I, I was thinking you just like had too many reactive spells but every time you hit an adventure you just exile that and right. so you're good to go <laughs> but on my main tangent uh i think galazeth prismari is the new card really in this deck mm-hmm and it's not adding that much to what the LSV deck had. No, it's just letting your... I mean, it's letting you play All Runs Epiphany at Magma Opus, right? Like, that's what it's Yeah, doing. and there, there's some value to Magma Opus, mm -hmm. especially. But, uh, I mean, we've got spells better than Magma Opus people are casting consistently. Right, so. right, right. Like, I'm not interested in doing this while ultimatums are happening. Yeah. And they're playing three colors, so they're just ways to tool their deck are inherently better than your deck that plays a four volatile fjord. Yeah. And, you know, like, also, like, you can't really grind against a Yorion deck, and, like, there's just, like, too many places where this isn't good enough right now. And, yeah, you lose some of the best cards in the deck post-rotation, but Goldspan Dragon is going to be one of those most powerful cards left in standard you know, and it is a while before rotation happens, but it, I, I do like looking forward and Goldspan Dragon is going to be a defining card in standard and just got to figure out how you want to use it. All right. What is this new card alert? I'm saying a Yorion thing you've got here. Well, I think it. So number one, I mean, this is Abzan Yorion. I, I think it is funny that the player is not good. <laughs> Is their username. Because, <laughs> like, obviously an Abzan Yorian deck is not actually going to be able to compete in a world of rogues and Sultai Ultimatum. But, new card alert. We got some Vanishing Verses in the deck. We got four Callous Blood Mages in the deck. Really just playing, like, a grindy, card advantage ground game that just cannot possibly beat Emergent Ultimatum. <laughs> Yeah, for reference, Chaos Blood Mage is the uh, the new Phyrexian Rager. Yep. <laughs> so that's the quality of card we're working with here. Or Charming Prince for Chaos Blood Mage. Listen, you uh, can exile your own graveyard against rogues and, like, keep doing it? Oh, yeah. That sounds so riveting, and I get to, like, cast a card from my graveyard because I'm escaping, right? We've got Cling to Dust. <laughs> <laughs> got two main deck Pelucranos. If they mill one of those, they might just die. I do appreciate the the burning rune demons. There's two of them because you know <laughs> searches for it. That's that's just a nice little touch. I mean, this card is not bad. This is a pretty decent magic card. It's not good enough right now. This is just an over the top deck that does not play blue. Yeah. And thus has startling little control over what its opponent's doing to go over the top of it. Right. So you know you could lose two 
rogues just drown in the locking your five and six mana spells. You can lose to emergent ultimatum just being stronger than what you're doing. You can lose to Naya adventures just like playing six spells on a showdown turn and then five spells on the next showdown turn and then they just run you over like a lot of stuff goes over the top of you here. But Vanishing Verse is really nice in this kind of deck. Yeah, until you need to kill like a Yorion or something like that. Yeah, or a, a, a Tybalt. Uh, you know, the two mana rogue. Yeah, the guy doesn't kill a two mana rogue. Thieving Sky something. I yeah, I know. I somehow I lost it, and the fact that I lost it, I think killed you. <laughs> no, it's not thieving. Wow, I had the word thieving in my. Is it? Is it a sky thief? I think it's oh, a. No. What is this card? Soaring thought. Soaring thief. thought thief. Oh That's I, I. I remembered it right before you said it. Ah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it doesn't kill a soaring thought thief. That's not a great place to be on your two mana removal spell because that's one of the most important things to hit. But it does hit a lot of stuff. Like I do like Vanishing Verse. I'm gonna move on to a deck I saw on Twitter. Sure. <laughs> uh, the Titan's Nest deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're you're familiar with Soul Titan Ultimatum, which yes. is a Soul Titan control deck that finishes the game with the Ultimatum, Emergent mm-hmm. Ultimatum. I think the name of it is. I can tell how often I read the names of cards on Emergent Arena. Ultimatum. <laughs> yeah. So the Titan's Nest deck. Um, imagine a control deck, but instead of Yoria, you're just playing Kahira, the Orphan Guard. Because you can. Mm-hmm. And then you're just a blue-black control deck with four Titan's Nest. Uh, yep. Titan's Nest, if you don't remember what this card does, because it's an unplayable rare from Akoria. It's a four-minute enchantment that's one GBU. At the beginning of your upkeep, you can surveil one, essentially. And then he has an activated ability of exile a card from your graveyard. You can add a colorless mana, and you can only spend that mana to cast spells that don't have X in it. <laughs> so the joke... Is that it plays out pretty much like a blue black control deck. You use your early turns using cantrips that get cards in your graveyard, like strategic planning and curate. That's the new filter spell. Uh, Thirst for meaning and rain of revelation are also in this deck because you really want cards in your graveyard to fuel your titan's nest. Because you really want to do on turn five is play titan's nest and follow up with like a shark tycoon, mm-hmm. or you hold. Your titan's nest and hopefully you can play it on turn four if you, they don't have like a brazen borrower or a bind of the old gods that's like the best ways to not to not get to get destroyed is to have, play into that because you really want to like untap and then play shark typhoon and then all runs of in the same turn mm-hmm. with uh any cards you need your graveyard for that 10 yeah i mean it gives all your spells delve so you can like hopefully count your spells as mostly costing only their colored mana until you use up the cards in your graveyard. So, you, yeah, you're trying to set up for just some, like, gigantic shark typhoon casting turn where you, like... And, I mean, you could do this all in one turn, potentially, if you slow the game down enough, and then you just go, like, Titan's Nest, Shark Typhoon, you know, even just a, a Thirst for Meaning to put a 3-3 into play. And, like, that's not bad. Yeah, I think where this deck fails is, though, it... Uh... It can lose even if it does its thing. Right. Which, which is not great. Because sometimes you Shark Typhoon, Auron's Biffany, you attack them for 10, and they just, like, untap, and then just play original Ultimatum. And you, like, have to have a counter spell or you lose. Mm-hmm. And that's true for not just Emergent Ultimatum, but 
if you can't handle their board state and because you're a blue-black control deck with single target removal spells, if you didn't have Extinction Event or Shadows Verdict, you just might not be able to handle their board state. So you have to leave your token back and then just like trade a bunch and keep playing the game. Which, I mean, is not ideal for a deck that's playing a bunch of Titan's Nests. Right. Because that card is not a good draw past the first one. Like, it's just the same problem that we keep having with lots of decks, which is it is silly to play a slow deck with an end game that is not an ultimatum. Yeah. That's pretty much what this deck is. Mm -hmm. It is pretty neat that it has Kahira the Orphan card, like I mentioned. Uh, but no actual creatures the deck. <laughs> like, it doesn't do anything with a 3-2. Classic. But you can put it in your hand and discard it to fuel your Titan's Nest. Yeah, or... Oh, wait, no, you can't... Uh... You can't use Titan's Nest to pay for putting your companion in your hand. No, you can only cast spells with Titan's Nest. Brutal. That aren't X spells. Yep. I, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that this deck is not new KCI. <laughs> is that what the tweet is titled? I think it is, right? That, that's what the tweet says. This deck is new KCI. I'm skeptical. I mean, I pretty much won every game I played KCI, like the turn I played KCI. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with that assessment that this is not KCI. <laughs> right. KCI doesn't require you to have, like, three plus colored mana left over in order to win the game. <laughs> like, that's... You don't even need any mana. <laughs> right. It is a cool deck, though. I, I, oh, I yeah. like seeing it on my, my feed. It's definitely cool. And... The, the rotation schedule is kind of a bummer because there is, like, a category of cards, like, specifically from Ikoria, that it sucks that they were outmoded by the ultimatums existing in that set. Like, and Titan's Nest is one of those cards. Stuff, like, like you know, the enchantments in that cycle. Like, uh, what is it? Offspring's Revenge or whatever it's called. Like, yeah, the Mardu one. Yeah. Like, there's, like, Sorry, cool Savai. So, yeah, but but there's like there's like a bunch of cool like tricolor cards that, you know, kind of like get your gears going, but don't work in a format that is defined by the top end that Akoria brought into the, the format via companions and ultimatums. I also super love mutate as a mechanic, especially the legendary mutate creatures, mm -hmm. the uh, the dragons. I think they're dragon. No, they're they're random combination of creature types from Akoria. But. I really like those cards, and I love the mutate mechanic, and I wish it would have just been, like... I wish Standard would have been a little weaker so that we could have seen some of the cool mutate stuff go on. Right. Even though it's, like, kind of a rules nightmare. Like, <laughs> whenever something interacts with the mutate card in Standard, you're like, I don't think it should work like that. Yeah, but at least you don't have to, like, really... Like, you, you do have to know it in order to play properly, but you're not going to screw it up because we're not playing in paper, so it's got that going for it, at least. Yeah... <sighs> any other standard stuff i haven't seen anything beyond that stuff so i'm i'm tapped out of standard stuff more but it's it's pretty much the same as it has been for a while yeah not not a too lot going on beyond that yeah i mean if you got to play standard i would say your options are rogues and adventures deck and ultimatum deck like or sultai ultimatum specifically well side i think you can also make a an argument for cycling if you want to try to like get under people sure and if you but want you to... have to be like 
spot on with that call. If, if you're or you are playing in an SCG and you kind of like want to do other stuff with your day. So you don't want to like sit there playing like long Sultai or Sultai versus rogues matches all day long. Like I, I respect and totally defer to anybody who's just like, yeah, I'm going to play cycling today so I can like mow my lawn too or whatever. It's also super duper cheap. Like if you've got pathways or even if you don't, you just like eschew them entirely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like four rare wild cards or something like that. Mm-hmm. All right. You want to talk about historic now? Yeah. I'm not going to spend a, a ton of time on it. Just going to talk about it for, for a minute or two. Do you want to point out that the insight esports 5k for this weekend you know we've got xan in the top eight with a build of phoenix we've got three more builds of phoenix in the top 16 like yes it's not like the dominant deck in historic there's no dominant deck in historic but like everybody saying that phoenix is unplayable just continues to be wrong and they continue to say it so my favorite part is that the show notes literally has the phrase i'll just read it here Wow, look, Phoenix in top eight and three more in top 16. Whoever would have guessed that Phoenix is good? Like, I'm not a naturally, like, super sarcastic person or anything like that. Like, yes, whoa, I, whoa. I use it sometimes for effect. But, like, this is a situation where I just think it is nonsense. And obviously, like, I love the card Arclight Phoenix. But if it were bad in Historic, I would t- admit it and tell you that. Like, that's fine. And keep playing it you know yeah i mean like when i was playing it in standard i was like yeah this card this isn't a good deck but i'm enjoying playing it like i was completely comfortable with that situation like that's just not true for historic your cards are too good like in the phoenix decks phoenix is not necessarily the main way that you kill your opponents but it's an important component for when you play against the control decks and they kill your two drops really easily but you just keep bringing back phoenixes like it matters a lot to have this threat that doesn't that lines up against completely different stuff than the rest of your cards. And like, obviously the deck is good because people keep winning with it. So Phoenix isn't good says player continuing to lose to Phoenix. Right. So, you know, a bunch of different ways to build it. I I do, you know, I've been watching Zan play his build where he has, I think he, you know, he, he took a lot of routes. He tested a lot of different stuff as he tends to do when he's working on this sort of thing. I liked the place that he got to for this tournament, which is Dreadhorde Arcanist as your two drop. You play a pretty grindy game plan and you've got Memory Lapse main deck, but your threats are Phoenixes and Crackling Drakes. And there's a maximized velocity in there, which is fine with Dreadhorde Arcanist and obvious just like is Splinter to win with Crackling Drake. And I think that that is a good sort of suite of threats that's able to juke and play a lot of different game plans and it is particularly well suited for somebody like xan who you know the the stronger you are at like technical magic and playing fish style decks and adjusting to what's going on in a game state the better a deck like this is going to be for you but it you know it adjusts well and has a lot of different ways of attacking your opponent so you know, I think a build like this is pretty strong, and I, it's also really fun, so I would encourage you to try it out. You're going to fuck up your lands a lot the first couple of matches you play with this deck. also want to point out to something Xan did, which I hope more people are doing. I haven't looked at the other Phoenix lessons, which is top 8, uh, but there's so many 1-mana spells in this deck, and I feel like way too many people are playing 
uh, even just like one copy of Finale of Promise. I hate that card so much. It's not, yeah. <laughs> you have to board it out in all of the grindy matchups because of the chance that they have Rest in Peace or Grafdigger's Cage. And it's just a complete blank of a card where at least Arcolite Phoenix is Snare Thopter. Your card advantage card that you have to board out in the grindy matchups, I, I don't think can make your deck anymore. Yeah, I, I, I've not liked that deck. I honestly didn't even realize why people were playing it in the first place. Because it just seemed... I, I get that it's three spells, right? But it seemed so similar to Charticors and Expressive Iteration to me mm-hmm. that those cards just also work against Graveyard Hate. So, like, why introduce this variance to your deck? Yeah. But I, I was just complimenting Xan's deck because it had so many one-mana spells, you never really whiff on bringing back your Phoenixes when you need to on a timely man. Right. Yep. And the one mana spells are so good that you just don't really need, like I, I, it is perfectly defensible to play a build with a set of strategic plannings or maybe a set of chart of course, depending on exactly what you're trying to do. Past that, like this, the the ones are so good, and like yeah, Zan is playing green, and his only green card main deck is Abundant Harvest, but the card is really really strong. Yeah, that card does. It doesn't allow you to miss on a spell. Right. Which is huge when you need to cast three spells in a turn. Yes. <laughs> and it also makes Dreadheart Arcanist a lot better when you have Abundant Harvest in your deck. And Brainstorm. Yeah, <laughs> certainly Brainstorm is, is, is very good. But Abundant Harvest is a better cantrip. No, no. Yeah, like Abundant Harvest makes Brainstorm oh, better. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. You're right. Because if you load up on too many lands, you can just dig right past them. Um, so I'm going to play a little more with Zan's build and try it out. I've been playing a lot of Dreadhorde Arcanist in Historic uh, in like basically every single con- configuration that you can think of. And that's probably pretty much what I'm going to talk about for the rest of our Historic time is just like ways to make Dreadhorde Arcanist good in the format because I think it is one of the best cards that you can play. The format is pretty fishy right now. Like, cheap threats and disruption is just a fantastic combination, which is why Rogues is so heavily played. Well, they printed Memory Lapse, you see. Ah, uh, yes. And and that's the thing. Like, Memory Lapse is so good that cheap threat that gives you kind of an insurmountable advantage after a couple of turns with it and Memory Lapse are just, like, that's peanut butter and jelly. Like, it's a it's really good together. Uh, and Dreadhorde Arcanist is really nice to cover with Memory Lapse because you don't have to attack too many times with it before it's just buried your opponent. I have tried builds of Dreadhorde Arcanist with, you know, the best opening hand in the format that you could possibly put together, disregarding like some weird specific combo or something. But like the best two cards to have in an opening hand in the format are Thoughtseize and Dreadhorde Arcanist. It's really difficult to lose a game if you clear a path for your Dreadhorde Arcanist and then you have the Thoughtseize sitting there for it to flash back. Uh, even against, you know, like, I've had that opening hand against Gruul and I've taken, like, eight damage off of Thoughtseizes, but they just never got any traction on the board. They run out of cards. Right. And, and you stabilize it like, five life. Yes. And I, I did find that, like, a huge key to playing the black versions of the Arcanist decks was just playing a bunch of cling to dust main deck 
which I often, like I'd have so many cards after attacking with Dreadhorde Arcanist a bunch of times that I could turn Klings into three life apiece just to keep from getting cheesed out in some weird situation. And that was decently strong. Obviously, like Dreadhorde Arcanist becomes weaker in the matchups where they have blockers that you have a hard time clearing and sometimes you are throwing it away. But I did love the combo of Dreadhorde Arcanist with Thoughtseize. It is really tough to put that together into a, a fully cohesive shell. Um, Why is that? So, you have to have black and you have to have red if you're going to do that combo. So you just like start going through all of the options, and they all kind of don't super work for various reasons. Straight black red, like the dread, you know, Rakdos Arcanist. I think that deck is really, really bad. Which it was kind of shocking to see it win the five k this weekend. A little less shocking that it was Salvato playing it because I think it like needed to be an extraordinary pilot in order for this deck to win a tournament like this. But I think that deck as it exists and his build was good. I think, it, you know, it did the, the best it could to to cover the weaknesses of the deck. Like I think playing a lot of the lists have like trimmed a Kroxa, which I think you just can't ever do because it's so important to just bring that back on turn four every single game. Uh. Basically, any game where you don't cast village rights pretty early, you just, like, don't have enough cardboard to do anything. Like, you just get caught up. Like, they have a single piece of interaction that matches up well against your stuff. Like, you draw Claim the Firstborn that sucks against them or whatever. And, like, Claim the Firstborn being kind of bad in this format is a, a pretty big knock against this deck. And just, like, the engine of the deck is kind of medium and if you ever get hit with a rest in peace, your cards just don't work. But that's not even the problem. Even without Graveyard Kate, I don't think the deck is like particularly powerful. So I I'm not a fan of just straight up Dreadhorde Arcanist. And like a big key to making a deck with Dreadhorde Arcanist work is having an actual cantrip to flashback with Dreadhorde Arcanist. And you that's why it was banned in Legacy, right? Yes, exactly. Like, it's good. Well, I mean, Force of Will is really the reason it was banned in Legacy, <laughs> right? Like, well, we can't we can't ban Force of Will or Brainstorm, so. No, but yes, the, the fact that you had broken card drawing spells to flash back and then could cover it with free counter spells. But, you know, in this format, we can simulate that with something like Memory Lapse where, you know, we just need a, to clear a turn and then we're in a similar spot. But you got to flashback cantrips with your Dreadhorde Arcanist. You can't do that in black-red because, you know, we're not running Crash Through or whatever in these decks. That card's not good. So you got some options. You can play blue. I I tried playing blue. It's fine. I mean, you are playing Grixis, which is traditionally just like, <laughs> oh, man, all these good cards, but somehow, like, my deck sucks. And uh, kind of how it goes... With, with the Grixis deck, like, you know, I was winning more than I was losing, certainly. But, you know, I, like, I was playing a Lurus version. Sprite Dragon was one of my other threats. And probably, like, I just need to explore more doing other stuff with the deck. Like, maybe it's not supposed to be a Lurus deck. And rather than having, like, Lurisable threats as your non-Dread or Arganist threats, you need, like, Chandra Torch of Defiances or something. You know, because, like, Thought sees Chandra Torch of Defiance is a good combo. So maybe something like that. Uh, and then, you know, you have your cantrips. You can have memory lapse to cover. Like, that could work. Also, Jund could work because Abundant Harvest is the best cantrip in the format. 
That's what I was thinking. I was thinking about Jund when you uh, said Rock Dice was not up to par. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, I think Crokey's posted a Jund list that he was playing that had some good ideas in it and, like, some completely bonkers, like, numbers to it and stuff. But Abundant Harvest does do a good job of fixing the problems that I have with the, the black-red stuff. So that is an option, but the blue disruption is so good and memory lapse is so good that that's, like, a tough place to go to, to not have. You can lose on the stack pretty easily in this format, and having memory lapse to buy a turn is pretty nice. But if there's, like, you know, Gruel Aggro is the best aggro deck in the format... You don't want memory lapse against that deck anyways. So it may be just like, that's not the disruption that I want. One thing that actually is really funny is that I kind of like, it's a, it's a bummer that Tithe is on the reserve list and we couldn't get it and we got Gift of Estates instead because I actually kind of want to flashback Tithe's with Dreadheart Arcanist. Tithe actually on the reserve list? Yeah. Wow. I did not realize that. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Guess that explains why it's apparently $50. Jesus. <laughs> so it is. But yes, so like there like what I what can't exist but would be really sick is a like Dreadheart Arcanist Faithless Looting Tithe deck. I want to I want to get my planes. I want to discard into Faithless Looting. I want to play a super grindy game. I don't actually really want to do that until they also reprint Lingering Souls, but then, who baby? Like, that's something Mar I... Mardu guy, Chris. I If I had Tithe to flash back and I had Faithless Looting Lingering Souls, I would absolutely play... I would absolutely be Mardu guy in Historic. But we're several steps away from that. Like, for instance, one of these cards is just on the reserve list. It's literally impossible for this card to exist. <laughs> It might as well not even exist. It just doesn't. Which is like, come on. Like, that's like, Tithe is so unassuming. And like, it'd be a per like, I think it would be a great card to exist. Like, it's like a weird card advantage -y white card that we just like can't have now. You know my favorite card on the reserve list? <laughs> it's Thunder Spirit. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's a one white, white, two, two flyer for a strike. Yep. The best part about this card being on the Zerg list is all the stories of someone in uh, Watsi, like designing just filler cards for a file mm -hmm. and just throwing in a one white white two two flying first strike, <laughs> and then being told they cannot print it. Can't, can't print this out. Oh, this was going to be an uncommon. No, you gotta gotta give that vigilance instead. It's it's on the reserve list. <laughs> Legends, Thunder Spirit. You want to you wanna take a quick guess at that price? It's got to be like some sort of meme price, right? Is it like $80? $180. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I would not have guessed that. <laughs> One white, white, two, two, first strike, $180. Whoa. You're underselling it. It has flying as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Flying first strike. <laughs> I, The reserve list is so stupid. And people's, like, reaction to the reserve list is, like, double stupid. Like, what value does... I, I know I know that the value that something has is just what someone will pay for it. But, like, what... This, is, this isn't, like, a part of magic history. It's not, you know, like... Juzam Jin is outmoded. 
but it's sick and it's cool and everybody knows everybody who plays magic knows what a juzam Jin is okay like that one can that one makes some sense thunder spirit thunder Look, spirit do you know why cards got added to the reserve list like how how knowledgeable are you on this i know that it was every rare from before x set i don't know what other cards were added to the reserve list I believe, yeah, it, it was just every blanket, every rare from after Chronicles to, I don't remember everything, Mercadia Masks. Mm -hmm. No, Mercadia Mask stuff isn't on the reserve list, but. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant, everything up to Mercadia Oh, masks. sure. Every, yeah, yeah. So, Urza Block is, is the last stuff on, yeah, exactly. And they removed a bunch of stuff, like, before they said they would Locked just ever, ever, ever reprint it. Yeah. And some of that stuff was like Juggernaut, I believe, was once part of the reserve list, but it's just like kind of an unprintable, uncommon nowadays. Right. <laughs> it's just truly bizarre. I mean, yeah. Like the reserve list and all of the like things that have happened with the reserve list is very much just that scene in The Simpsons where Sideshow Bob just, like, keeps stepping on rakes. I mean, that's Watsy's uh, Twitter feed, but... <laughs> that's true. That, like, a lot of aspects of Watsy are just, like, Sideshow Bob stepping on rakes continuously for a full minute. So now that we now that we just can't have Mardu Arcanist... Right. All right. So we can't have Mardu Arcanist for, like, many reasons, but it is, like, my platonic... It's a, a deck that I wish could exist and, and cannot... Uh, format is low to the ground. Like, you know, there's all this cool, like, five mana, graveyardy stuff, Imperial Rights, Mystics Mastery. Honestly, even Time Warp is, like, has a hard time finding traction in a format that is heavily defined by Memory Lapse and then decks that are good against Memory Lapse, like Gruel. So those are the things that you have to kind of contend with when you're brewing up a deck for the format. So... You know, Rogues is one of the memory lapse decks. And then, you know, there's Phoenix decks. There's there's various blue disruptive decks. You know, cards like Muxus are just like... Muxus has never looked worse. I have not lost to Goblins just because I have memory lapse in my deck. I Like, you just don't lose to Goblins. Yeah, I saw a tweet from April earlier today where she... Memory leaked to Muxus with Teferi. Like, played Teferi on Tap Lands. Opponent cast Muxus, she memory lapsed it. And she remember it two more times. And on the fourth time it came down, Thassa's intervention did for one. Oh my god. <laughs> and they just don't have any choice. They have no maneuverability. They just keep drawing it and nothing else. Yeah, and they have to gas it. It's so strong once it resolves. Well, and they have to work their way through your memory lapses somehow. Yep, and they, they just never do. No, it's... Uh... Whew. Yeah. Anyways... That's historic. I'm going to keep working on it some more. But generally, like, I have enjoyed the Dreadhorde Arcanist decks more than anything else. Uh, and don't play Rakdos Arcanist. I think it's fundamentally flawed in, like, several different ways. If you are going to play it, like, play something close to Salvato's list. Like, people trimming on Faithless Lootings and trimming on Krogus are incorrect. Play four of each of those things. Hit the, among your best cards, yeah. for sure. Are you ready for this this fun Patreon question I picked out to hear your answer for? I'm not ready. I haven't, like, picked out my answer, so you'll have to go first, probably. <laughs> All right, we do have a Patreon question. 
Uh, it's from Tucker Graves. He asks, what are Lee and Chris's favorite and least favorite sets from a flavor slash lore perspective? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a f- few different answers I have for this. You can't just uh, give a, a few favorites. Well, I like... Uh, I don't have a few favorites. Let's get that off, off the bat. <laughs> so Magic Story is, by and large, just not very good. Mm-hmm. So there's like a, a couple of different ways I can interpret this. Uh, I'll start with... Uh, what I think my favorite mode for magic flavor slash lore is, which is Innistrad, the original set. Mm-hmm. So Innistrad has really, really, really good flavor, but it's all in the cards. Like all the transform cards are super cool. Uh, there is some story going on somewhere in the background, like Garrick's on the plane. It has been cursed. Liliana's just chilling there uh, and Avacyn vanished. And then there's this uh, four angel sisters that are like core to the plane, but you're not really sure why. And like, there's some mystery and there's some cool stuff. Innistrad has like some pretty good world building, especially with the the Soren stuff that they threw in. Mm-hmm. But none of that really matters. Like you don't have to read the, the books or the story or the lore or anything. It just works and you get the cards and you can see there's like some larger part of the story, but it's not really important. The set is just good on its own. And the I, the gothic horror slash like pop culture horror references like in individual cards do a good job of carrying it too. Like, ooh, this is Frankenstein. Ooh, this is Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Yeah, civilized scholar flavor knock in the park, knock out of the park. Mm-hmm. So Innistrad is my favorite. Innistrad is what I wish uh, Magic Story cards would just be. Like, the story's there. It's not super important. There's some stuff going on if you care, but you don't really have to. The cards just kind of stand on their own. And there's some, like, backdrop. Mm-hmm. Gristlebrand versus Avacyn. Uh, just plane theming. Some Planeswalkers doing stuff that's not really important. But if you have to get Planeswalkers involved and have them be, like, the focus, my favorite of that is actually Ixalan. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. for some Everything they did with the War of the Spark story was just horrible. <laughs> Correct. It was not good. All the weird jumping from plane to plane to assemble like this death machine was like neatish at the time, but didn't actually end up doing anything. And then all the individual stories contained therein from like Kaladesh, Ixalan, Amonkhet, etc. Mm-hmm it's just terrible <laughs> like the, the individual plane stories do not matter it's basically just tezzeret or nickel bulls jumping to a plane to finding some sort of artifact to use to build a portal that's it that's the whole story and they they drag it on too long yep it, it's all horrible but ixalon stories were written weekly on the uh the website and it was just a romance novel between Jason Braska. <laughs> so if you're going to do any Planeswalker-based story, it should just be in romance novel form. It was super trashy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that great, but it was different and, you know, way better than reading about all the other stuff. Yeah. And, you know, like that 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 Jace Vraska romance didn't really show up on the cards. I do like when they are able to display like relationships emotions moments that are very different from like oh no bad guy is here like throw a fire at him you know like i my my least favorite card 
in Strixhaven is the one where they're zapping the demon. Like, <laughs> it's, it's just horrifyingly well, bad. Excuse me, it's a it's a blood avatar. Yeah. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, stories are are tools for understanding our world and ourselves, right? Like humans communicate via stories. And I think we have a hard time understanding anything unless it's put in the context of a narrative. Like our brains work with patterns and stories. And I think that telling stories that are outside of bad guy does bad thing, good guy stops bad guy is like fundamentally important to making your world like matter at all to anybody ever. So this that's why like cathartic reunion is I like I I love that. I, I yes. make your characters human. Make them have like moments, make them have emotions, like make them have fears and and love and like loss and like regaining like make them human make them do things yeah i i'm pretty sure i've said this before that's like my whole problem with most of the story but especially on kaladesh where like part of the huge moment was chandra going home and finding her mom still alive Mm -hmm. and yet the story is just not about that at all it's like about overthrowing the government for some reason because there has to be a conflict except for kaladesh is like incredible like the whole plane just is so happy and vibrant and Everyone's, like, working on their own cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's just, like, this contrived conflict because Wizards thinks there just needs to be a conflict in every set in order to, like, justify there being wars and magic and stuff yeah. that you play in the game. Which is just crazy. Because in Limited right now, I'm casting cards like Snow Day and Reject. Right, and that's Ram. fine. Like, yeah. Like, like... Every every story is going to have to have some tension or conflict, but it doesn't need to be somebody is killing somebody else with magic. Like that 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 isn't the conflict that has to happen. I think the biggest creatures in Kaladesh were the Giroks, right? Which are just showpieces. That's mm-hmm. what they are. They're just inventions that people made big because they could. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> kind of compelling, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Battle Bond is so good, too, because they're just like, story, garbage. We're in pit fight mode. Let's do this. Gladiator time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's fun. And, like, because a card, a set of cards isn't great at telling, like, a full, like, novel or novella length, like, beginning, middle, end story. But it is great at showing moments, and moments can be enough. Like, you don't need any context like knowing like who Chandra is and like having like opened a bunch of Chandra cards in the past does help, but you don't need any additional context to read cathartic reunion, read the flavor text, look at the art and be like, okay, I get what this card is about. Like, this is really sweet. Like this is, or even the cathartic reunion from Ixalan, which is just a random guy and a random dinosaur. (laughs) And you're like still rooting for them. Yeah. And 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 the, when you can put the the story on those four cards together and be like, oh, this guy and his dinosaur friend, like, give us more of that. That's great. Yep, I'm telling you, Innistrad Battle Bond, A plus, A plus flavor card design stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I really like, and some of this is nostalgia because this is, this was the first kind of like block that I experienced as a whole, like from beginning to end, like, you know, packs of the first set, packs of the second set, packs of the third set, like in, in order, but invasion block, I think had a lot of cool stuff going for it. Like the Phyrexians were cool, bad guys who like it mattered that they beat the Phyrexians because the Phyrexians were so clearly just like alien, not of the same moral universe of humans. Just like all of their cards were clearly like consuming the world. And it's just like, so obviously like if you're going to tell a good versus evil story, like this is how you make the stakes. Like you make I mean, this this is one way to make the stakes, but if you're doing some huge thing like War of the Spark was intended to be, like, make me care about the bad guys not winning. Like, I never understood what Bolas's plan really... Like, yeah, he wants to be super powerful, so he's going to kill all of the Planeswalkers. Like, okay. Sure, like, this doesn't make very much sense, but even if he wins, like, the Planeswalkers are going to be dead, but kind of whatever it's i don't really like you didn't do a good job of making me care about them but the <laughs> yeah, planeswalkers are but the but the phyrexians and you you print cards like plague spitter and plague spores like showing all the diseases that they are like intentionally spreading on dominaria You're, okay these the you know they're they're ruining the world like i get it i get the stakes here and then you print cards like coalition victory that like show the moments of the you know there, there are all these moments that are like the beginning middle and end and you can like you you try to like put things together and you see a card like agonizing demise and you're like holy shit like what's happening here like y you 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 start to care about these things a little bit and that that's important and that was told almost completely through the cards and it, it i think invasion did like a really good job well there were I, novels i think there was a novel for each of those sets actually yeah i i read them they're not that great right but <laughs> I, but like putting the novels to the side like i think the sets do stand alone really well as give us some characters like give me gerard and hannah and and Orum. give me like cards related to those characters and then give me moments that they have in the in the war and also with each other so that's why i preferred the uh so one of the things i don't like about the the whole weather lake crew mm -hmm. is that they just jumped from plane to plane like, <laughs> like planeswalkers yeah they were they were just proto planeswalkers mm -hmm. and so you could care about the characters for multiple blocks but like it didn't really it didn't really matter what world they were on per se it's just like the character thing sure and i think the coolest thing about magic is that you go from world to world mm -hmm. so like uh the only example i'm coming up with is mirrodin for some reason even though that, that story is terrible but on the first mirrodin block you had glissa right it's just a legendary elf with some really weird disenchant text but she's a legendary creature she's the main character she's on a bunch of splash art uh then you you know, years pass. You go to Scars of Mirrodin, and all of a sudden, she's a bad guy now. Like, we we jumped to a bunch of different worlds in the intervening years, but Glissa was still there because she can't leave. Right. She was the main character, and now she's a bad guy. So, oh, something's happening. That's neat. Yes. Yeah. That That is... Legends 
that are now like different colors or like fundamentally different characters. Like that is always weirdly compelling to me. I think that that is such a such a cool storytelling device. Dark Steel Colossus into Blight Steel Colossus, mm-hmm. same same deal. Yeah, I, I think Scarzamir into the Phyrexian stuff really well in terms of like showing corruption. I think that's a really good mm-hmm. block for that. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm not coming up with a lot more examples because I think a bunch of the single set stories were like just didn't have very compelling characters or moments because they weren't really trying. I mean, it is tough and I get like I understand what they I understand the the desire and the reasoning behind having characters that translate from plane to plane. If you are going to use them and tell their stories and give them consistent personalities and have their decisions drive the storyline. Like I get why you want that. You, you, it, it's much, it, it gives your audience something to hold on to and, and, and like track through these stories. But if you're not going to respect your characters and you're going to do shit like the, like, you know, everybody's shipping two female planeswalkers, but then one is just like, no, I'm like, gonna state in no uncertain terms how much i like dick like <laughs> you know if you're gonna disrespect your characters in that way then there's there's not even any point to having these uh you know these yeah they aren't lines. using they aren't using planeswalkers to tell the planeswalker stories they're using planeswalkers to tell like some meta story and using the planes as like backdrops that don't matter Right, like Kaya was in the Kaldheim one, and pretty much nothing happened in the Kaldheim story. But Kaya was there, and I guess that's relevant somehow. It's it's not, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I guess they might be trying to use them as your like your point of view into the new plane, like your translator. But just give me a character from the plane, right? Like, like they're more interesting, right? It's not necessary. I think, like, if you are gonna have planeswalkers that keep going from plane to plane, like. It, it needs to be their storyline and we need to see them develop and make decisions and stuff. And, and that just like, obviously doesn't happen whenever Teferi shows up. It's like cool. And it's a moment, right? Because he's not just like always there being boring. It's like, he left, he had a family, like he wasn't part of this. He got pulled back into it. Like he's trying to do the right thing for his family. Like, great. Give me that. That's interesting. Yeah. I think Karn is, the only plans work I could think of that has a cohesive story, like literally all he's done since, uh, I guess the original Mirrodin block, uh, is just try to fix Mirrodin, and then he realized the Phyrexians were involved, so he went there and then got destroyed mm-hmm. by them. <laughs> then uh, everything since that Dominaria, and I get War of the Spark is an exception because like everyone had to be there for some reason. Idiot, idiotic <laughs> storytelling, honestly. Like, but literally all Karn is ever trying to do is destroy Phyrexia slash heal Mirrodin. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all he's ever doing. Right. He's never like, all right, time to go overthrow the Kaladeshi government because Tezzeret's there. He's <laughs> like, that's just like not even a thing he cares about. <laughs> and that's kind of cool. Like, I mean, yes, it's good to have a character with like coherent motivations and a, you know, but also like. It does fit like he's a robot and he's single minded in purpose. Like, that's kind of nice. I'm into that. Uh, if you have to have your planeswalkers around, like, give them some purpose and then give them things that make sense. Like, what if 
Chandra is reunited with her mother on Kaladesh, and then she's just like, y'all, I'm done. Like, I can't and do this. And she stays there. Yeah. It's a good conclusion. Right. Like, you can wrap up a storyline that way, and you can give your character some resolution. Also, one of the big problems I have with Planeswalkers is that the, like, every every time we go to a new plane, we always have, or return to a plane, we always have a Planeswalker that's, like, native to that plane, despite how super rare Planeswalkers right, are supposed to be. There's always one. There's got to be a new one. And the native Planeswalkers are always way better than any of the other characters we care about. <laughs> like, Sahili is very good. Like, one of the best characters, one of my favorite character designs they've ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Watley's kind of whatever, but Angrath was neat. He wasn't really an excellent planeswalker, but he was there for so long, I'm going to count him. Watley gets my respect just because, like, the words warrior poet were in my head for a long time before her character, and I was really happy to see a warrior poet character, so. And then, like, um, what's his name? Calyx, the Theros one? Mm -hmm. Had, like, some intrigue. He, like, had his own stuff going on. Mm -hmm. It was neat. I didn't have to care about stupid Elspeth. (laughs) <laughs> i don't like elspeth i know you don't like elspeth but that's actually like uh you know I, and i not not necessarily in all of the details or all of her decision making but the broad strokes of the storyline of you know come to theros become heliod's champion like get killed like get really super mad about that of like disappear from the game for years and then come back escape the afterlife be like heliot i'm gonna me-. like that's you know that's a cool story and and you know we weren't stuck like with elspeth every set getting bored with her like she disappeared for a while and she came back and we picked up naturally where her story thread was going that's good like that's good yeah. stuff yeah elspeth's supposed to be on like a redemption arc mm-hmm. basically when when she went to theros the first time and it's kind of neat to see that concluding, except for we have no idea about anything else Beth is right. doing at all. Right, right. Because <laughs> we didn't get, like... I mean, we like we did get some moments on cards, right? Because we got... Elspeth's Nightmare is the card that... So, I the weirdest thing about Elspeth is that they're... They're gearing up for this, like, Phyrexian return with the Karn stuff and the Elspeth, Ashiok, Tezzeret stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, these are all centered on new Phyrexia. But there can't be that many Planeswalkers in one set. But does that mean we're going to have a whole year of, like, an artifact set? That is just a disaster waiting to happen, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't, I, nothing, I won't put anything past them. We can withstand Eldraine. We can withstand just like a year of new Phyrexia. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Obviously, uh, yeah. What are what are our least favorite flavor sets? Uh, we already we already went over that. Yeah, I guess I guess we we made. I mean, we just gave a million examples of stuff we hate. Yeah, elsewhere. I think that's it. You got anything else? Nope, I'm I'm done for today. Me too gonna go curl up into my covers and sleep sounds perfect i'm gonna do the same thanks everybody so much for listening we really appreciate your time if you want to lend us some support head over to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast we are on twitter lee is i'm tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast lee is also on twitter i am at lee mccleo and i will probably be back on twitch 
you know, evenings starting tomorrow, which is like yesterday for when y'all are hearing this. Uh, Twitch.tv slash CCR underscore grindcast. That's it for us. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Bye.